Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. Former President Trump in court for his classified documents case in Florida. Find out more about the contention over the trial date. A Texas town at a crossroads. Voters weigh in on the border crisis ahead of Super Tuesday as the nation's attention focuses on illegal immigration. Eagle Pass residents confront their political differences. Hunter Biden testifies he was under the influence when he name-dropped his father, demanding payment from a Chinese business partner on WhatsApp. Takeaways from the first son's closed-door deposition after the transcript release. Thousands of people turn out for Alexei Navalny's funeral in Moscow today after the Russian opposition figure's death two weeks ago. Family members and supporters pay tribute at the gravesite ceremony. Angry backlash from Canberra after Facebook's parent company said it will stop payments to news content publishers in Australia. What's at stake in the dispute? South Korean women in their 80s break into the rap game. The group makes a name for themselves in their hometown and beyond. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Former President Trump is in a federal courthouse in Florida right now for a hearing related to his classified documents case. He arrived at the courthouse moments ago. The hearing is to decide on a trial schedule. In a motion filed last night, special counsel Jack Smith asked for a trial date of July 8th. It was initially set for May 20th. Attorneys for Trump and a co-defendant proposed August 12th. Trump's lawyers added that ideally the trial would be delayed further. U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon is addressing the matter in today's court hearing. She'll decide on the final timeline. Trump's attorneys maintain the former president can't receive a fair trial before the November elections because of his campaign obligations. And the federal judge in E. Jean Carroll's defamation case is expected to make a decision soon on former President Trump's request to delay an $83 million judgment. Carroll's lawyers told the judge yesterday that Trump should not be given more time to post the money that she was awarded. Carroll's attorneys argue Trump is simply asking the court to trust him without giving any information on his finances and assets. They accuse him of being the least trustworthy of the borrowers in their filing. A final verdict on damages was made on February 8th, giving Trump 30 days to pay out the award. Trump's team asked the judge last Friday to delay judgment while he appeals or to allow him to post less, like one-third or half. Trump would need to post bond in about two weeks on the current schedule and needs to pay the court the full amount in order to appeal. The money would be held while the, while the appeal plays out. And Trump will remain on the Illinois primary ballot pending an appeal. A judge issued an order yesterday clarifying the duration of a pause on her decision to disqualify him. The judge first stayed her removal order until March 1st, anticipating an appeal or pending a ruling by the U.S. Supreme Court in the Colorado case. She stated the removal order is on hold until the appeal is resolved. Reactions are coming in after former President Trump and President Biden visited the southern border yesterday. NTD's Arian Pazdar joins us now from Eagle Pass, Texas. Arian, what are people saying? 
Yeah, guys, so I think the main thing, the biggest thing people are talking about today is the number of illegal border crossings here in Eagle Pass, where Trump was, and then down in Brownsville, which Biden visited. So here in Eagle Pass, the numbers are going down, but we do still see over a thousand illegal border crossings every day. Meanwhile, down in Brownsville, that's around 20. So that's one of the reasons why some people say that Biden's visit to Brownsville was just a publicity stunt. And Trump took these accusations a step further, saying that Biden caused the immigration crisis. Let's now take a look at what Trump said exactly as he was here in Shelby Park yesterday in Eagle Pass. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. If you look at uh, Arizona, they haven't done anything there. Governor hasn't done a thing, and the governor in California hasn't done a thing. People are flowing through there like nothing, but Texas is very secure and it's going to be even more secure by the time you finish, which will be soon. Okay, and Arian, how did the locals in Eagle Pass react to Trump's visit? Do they support him? And what are they saying about the ongoing crisis in their backyard? Right, guys. So just like in most places, people here, I would say, are divided on Trump, right? Some people love him, some people hate him. But in terms of the immigration crisis itself, so you might be surprised because this is Eagle Pass, right? The immigration hotspot, the center of the immigration crisis, if you will. You might think that this is people's number one issue. But we spoke to the residents here and some say it is a big issue, but not all of them. I want to show you what they told me, what they think the biggest issue is affecting them the most. Economy, the economy sucks right now. Excuse my language. It's hard. Prices keep going up, but our income, our raise, it stays the same. Well, when Trump was in office, the economy was a little bit more, more better and, you know, the inflation was non-existent. Shut down the borders and start drilling and that's what we need. And the drilling, would that be good for the economy, I think? Yeah, because yeah, we got Carrizo here that we used to have a bunch of uh, drilling going on since, then, since uh, Biden, everything started going slow. So you see, guys, even down here in Eagle Pass, the immigration hotspot, what people care about the most is how much money they have at the end of the month. Back to you guys. Arian, thank you so much for that report. And as former President Trump visited the border in Eagle Pass, Texas yesterday, some residents turned out at polling stations to cast their ballots early for next week's Super Tuesday. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on what they're saying about the election and the problems they're facing. Maverick County, the largely Hispanic county where Eagle Pass is located, has backed Democratic presidential candidates for nearly a century. President Biden bested Trump in the county in 2020, despite losing to Trump in Texas. Eagle Pass voter Vincente Ortega says he definitely won't be voting for former President Trump. I don't, I don't even know why he wants to be here. What they doing at, at, at uh, right there by the river? It's just a show. Ortega says Biden is the president, whether people like it or not. He's been trying to do everything for the border, but this guy, he doesn't want to do nothing for the border. Texas voter Jessica Cavazos has the opposite view, blaming Biden for the current problems. When Biden took office, it's been a disaster, um, not just humanitarian-wise with the people crossing, but um, just our community is, is really feeling the stress of all that. 
Cavasso says she's very conservative, which is reflected in her voting. I think if we don't have a voice in this election, uh, honestly, I think our country's really going to be torn apart. Many in the border town community share that they've been economically and socially affected by the spike in illegal immigration and the militarization of recreational spaces in the city. Eagle Pass voter Lydia Graciela Regino says there have been too many immigrants and they've had several problems with them. And that's why one says, well, I'm going to go vote in the name of God, let the chosen one come out, the good one. Trump, the likely Republican Party nominee, tapped into the frustration with illegal immigration during his Thursday visit to Eagle Pass. The former president has vowed to intensify his first-term immigration crackdown and resume his signature policies. Those include building a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border and the Remain in Mexico program, which forced some non-Mexican migrants to wait in Mexico for the resolution of their U.S. asylum cases. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And dueling visits to the southern border by former President Trump and President Biden yesterday as we spoke about. The two showcased their differing viewpoints on the immigration crisis, an issue that a recent Gallup poll says is the most important to voters this election cycle. For analysis of the standoff, we're joined live by Victor Avila, retired special agent for HSI ICE. He's also the author of Agent Under Fire and a congressional candidate for Texas. Thank you so much for your time today, Victor. Uh, please talk about the significance of this simultaneous visit by Trump and Biden to the southern border. Well, it just goes to show the atmosphere that, that we are in this country today, especially that uh, border security and immigration is the number one issue surprisingly uh, surpassing the economy, which is usually the number one uh, topic that borders are concentrating on. But that's how serious uh, this unsecured border is. But there's a big difference with these two visits yesterday. One, you have President Trump going down there because he wants to, and Biden going to Brownsville because he has to. And that's a very, very significant difference because uh, I believe Biden is doing it for election purposes because they know that they're losing these voters, believe it or not, Democrat voters, especially in my district of Eagle Pass, uh, Uvalde, Del Rio, they have lost, uh, these voters have lost confidence in the Biden administration because they have seen firsthand the destruction that has caused not only in their communities, but across this nation. And Victor, looking at Trump, what message of his yesterday resonated with you the most? Well, that uh, it brings a little bit of a smile to my face because there are solutions. Uh, it's just a matter of having the will to implement them, uh, to follow the rule of law, to follow the Constitution, to give authority back where it merits to our border agents and other agencies. Uh, I want to be part of that solution in this district. I think we can do it when you have the right people in the right places. We will fix it now. It will be in <clears throat> some areas. It will be a little bit difficult, especially with the removal uh, of the people that are already in here, but it will get done. And I think people are starting to recognize that they need people that will, first of all, put America first, uh, be in response of what the con con constituents and U.S. citizens have been asking for, and that is public safety. If you don't have public safety, then everything else goes out the window. And uh, sadly, we've been reminded of that in the last few days with the horrible crimes that have been committed against U.S. citizens at the hands of illegal aliens. Yeah, and speaking of, of those crimes, Trump is focusing heavily on, on them, on what he's calling uh, migrant crime, is what he's calling it. 
What do you make of his focus on this particular issue from a political strategy standpoint? Listen, really, if you think about it, it's a non-political, it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't be a, a partisan issue. Uh, everyone demands public safety. Uh, fentanyl kills everybody from every spectrum uh, of the aisle, of political aisle. The same thing goes uh, with the victims of, of these crimes. I've spoken to thousands, thousands of uh, angel moms and angel families that have lost their loved ones or the, their loved ones have been a victim of the crime of the hands of illegal aliens. This is a huge issue because we have a crime surge already in this country to begin with, with our own citizens that we must deal with. Now we have to then absorb people from 150 different countries and some of them will come here to commit crimes and horrific crimes. So we have to put an end to it. And the way you do that is the first step is securing the border, holding these uh, countries accountable, starting with Mexico then removing them from this country back to their country and push the burden back on their countries to keep their citizens there. Victor, I want to look at Biden's speech as well. The president petitioned Trump to uh, encourage Congress to pass a border bill, uh, effectively asking him to join Biden in that end. Uh, how do you think Biden's statements were received by your former colleagues um, at the U.S. Border Patrol? Uh, I tell you what, they don't agree with this bill because this bill allows illegal immigration to continue. It doesn't end the problems that we face. And the biggest issue is catch and release. That means that the people are encountered and released into our country. That's the, probably the first step that we have to end. We need to re-implement Remain in Mexico. And this bill doesn't do that. It still allows up to 5,000 people a day, which, by the way, we'll we're getting uh, on side, California side, and believe it or not, even Eagle Pass, we're getting about 1,500 a week. So those numbers still continue to come. And you wait and see it till this summer, because I think the cartels are not going to put up with holding back the illegals that been, are being held back by Mexico right now under this deal that the Biden administration made with the Mexican government. And I think you're going to see a drove of a lot of people coming. This bill does not solve any of that. As a matter of fact, we don't need any more new legislation. We just need to enforce our laws in the books. All right. Victor Avila, retired special agent for HSI ICE and Texas congressional candidate. Thank you so much. Thank you. And the Georgia House passed a bill yesterday that would require the state's police and sheriff's department to help identify, arrest, and detain illegal immigrants for deportation. That's after the murder of a nursing student sparked national outrage and calls for stricter immigration laws. Police have accused a Venezuelan man of killing Lakin Riley on the University of Georgia campus. Authorities say Jose Ibarra illegally entered the U.S. in 2022. The Georgia bill would require local law enforcement agencies to work with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The measure now moves to the state Senate for more debate. A federal judge says parts of Arizona's new voting laws are not discriminatory. The laws require counties to verify voter citizenship status and apply only to registered voters who haven't provided proof of U.S. citizenship. In a ruling yesterday, District Judge Susan Bolton concluded Arizona legislators did not discriminate when they adopted the laws. Bolton ruled that the state has an interest in preventing voter fraud and limiting voting to eligible individuals. However, Bolton ruled against the requirement for individuals using a state registration form to include their state or country of birth. The judge says 
judge says it violates a provision of the Civil Rights Act and a section of the National Voter Registration Act. And after some pressure from former President Trump, Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee announced he'll run for re-election in November. This despite his earlier plans to retire. The decision comes after Trump urged Green to reconsider his retirement th through a message posted on Truth Social. Trump praising Green's political talents expressed his hope for Green's re-election bid on the social media platform. Green, who chairs the House Homeland Security Committee, represents a GOP-friendly district in central Tennessee. The district is expected to remain in Republican hands regardless of Green's final choice. The notorious cybercriminal gang that launched an attack on Fulton County, Georgia, has not profited from their alleged scheme. According to the county's Board of Commission Chairman, no ransom has been handed over. Lockbit, the group that claimed responsibility for the hack, gave the local government of a deadline of Thursday. It has been trying to extort Fulton County for the past few weeks, threatening to release data the group says it took from the county. The hack has hindered county computers, disrupting the processing of water bill and property tax payments. However, county officials say they're making progress with the recovery of information. The FBI and other law enforcement partners worldwide recently announced a full-scale crackdown on Lockbit. Also in Georgia, the hearing to disqualify the Fulton County District Attorney resumes today. Attorneys for both sides will make closing arguments before the judge decides whether Fannie Willis and her staff should be removed from the election case against former President Trump. Be sure to tune in for our special coverage of that starting this afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on NTD News. And up ahead, Hunter Biden testifies he was under the influence when he name-dropped his father, demanding payment from a Chinese business partner on WhatsApp. Takeaways from the first son's closed-door deposition after the transcript release. And a new study says more than 40% of Americans know someone who's died of a drug overdose. We hear from Americans out there who face these challenges among friends, family, and the community. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. One of the biggest days in the race for nominee is coming soon. Voters decide who will face off this November and we'll be covering all of it. The Nation Decides 2024 Super Tuesday with Steve Lance and Tiffany Meyer live on March 5th at 6 p.m. Eastern on NTD News. yesterday approved a short-term stopgap spending bill to avert a partial government shutdown. This after the Republican-controlled House backed it with less than 36 hours before funding would have begun to run out. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the vote. The bill passed the Senate in a bipartisan vote. The yeas are 77, the nays are 13, and the bill is passed. And will now go to President Biden's desk for signing into law. It will set deadlines to fund one part of the government by March 8th and the other portion by March 22nd. In a statement, Biden said the passage was good news for Americans because it avoids a damaging shutdown, but added, this is a short-term fix, not a long-term solution. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer expressed gratitude for the deal. When we pass this bill, we will have, thank God, avoided a shutdown with all its harmful effects on the American people. Earlier on Thursday, the House approved the short-term stopgap measure in a 320-99 to 99 vote. Some Republican lawmakers were critical of the spending bill approval. This is more of the same. I mean, people kind of grow accustomed to um, 
you know, Washington doing what Washington does. In this game, you got to stack up your fights. You got to stack up your strategies. And, um, and uh, I just don't think that's what we accomplished here. I'm going to say the same thing I've always said. Republicans and Democrats alike are spending too damn much, period. The extension buys Congress more time to agree on funding for the full fiscal year that began October 1st. Even with passage of Thursday's temporary funding bill, Congress still faces potential battles during the next few years over funding levels for many programs that conservatives want to pare back. House Speaker Mike Johnson had been pressured by some Republicans to use a shutdown as a bargaining chip. This to force Democrats to accept provisions to restrict the flow of illegal migrants across the U.S.-Mexico border. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The transcript of Hunter Biden's closed-door deposition was released last night. The first son repeatedly denied under oath that his father ever financially benefited or participated in any of his business ventures. Republicans dug in on his work for foreign clients in countries like China and Ukraine. The House panel investigating President Biden and his family is searching for any evidence of corruption or influence peddling during Biden's time as VP. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has takeaways from Hunter Biden's deposition. Good morning. GOP investigators in a close to seven hour long private interview with Hunter Biden Wednesday asked about dinners and meetings with business partners where he put his father on speakerphone. The younger Biden said it was nothing nefarious, stating after the death of his mother and two siblings, calls in his family are always answered no matter what. Hunter Biden acknowledged his past drug addiction under questioning from Congressman Matt Gates. He told the panel he's been in recovery for over four years and pushed back, asking what it had to do with impeachment. The first son testified he was out of his mind, drunk, and probably high when he name-dropped his father in a 2017 WhatsApp message demanding payment from a Chinese business associate. He told lawmakers his father was not actually sitting next to him as he said in the text, and insisted he didn't recall sending it in the first place. Republicans drilled down on what they describe as selling the Biden brand to clients overseas. Hunter Biden's former business associate Devin Archer testified last year the president's family sold the illusion of access to power in Washington. The panel asked Hunter Biden what value he brought to Ukrainian energy firm Burisma in 2014 and if the company wanted him on its board because his father was VP. He said he didn't think that would be a fair assessment, then talked about the scope of his resume. He also challenged Republicans to prove that he sent money to his father other than a car loan repayment. When asked about a 2017 email proposing a $10 million stake in a firm be held for the big guy, Hunter Biden said it was a pie in the sky and testified he does not remember fully reading or responding to the email. He says he only knows what was executed in the agreement and stated it didn't involve his father. Hunter Biden also testified he does not remember bringing a laptop into a Delaware repair shop, stating if he needed repairs he would have gone to the Apple store. House Oversight Chair James Comer says the next step in the GOP impeachment inquiry will be a public hearing with Hunter Biden. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Jack Teixeira, the Air National Guardsman accused of leaking highly classified military documents, is now expected to plead guilty. Prosecutors asked the judge to schedule a change of plea hearing. It's set for Monday at Boston's federal courthouse. Teixeira previously pleaded not guilty to six counts of willful retention and transmission of national defense information. Each count is punishable by up to 10 years in prison. The airman has been behind bars since his arrest in April of last year. He's accused of sharing classified military documents about the Russia-Ukraine war and other sensitive national security topics on social media platform Discord. The fentanyl crisis has so far not swept Mexico like it has the United States, despite Mexico being a major trafficking hub. 
for the highly addictive painkiller. But research by Reuters shows fentanyl is creeping further into Mexico now, although a lack of data and testing may cloud the scale of consumption. That gap in knowledge concerns some researchers and officials. Here's the story. We don't have evidence of fentanyl, so this worries us a lot, because if it passes through Mexico, some of it must end up here. And if it's on the streets, this affects people who are in difficult conditions, homeless people, those without the means to go to emergency services. Mexican authorities have classified fentanyl as an emerging drug because of an uptick in users seeking treatment, with related figures remaining relatively low. According to the most recent available data, opioid users made up less than 2% of the some 168,000 people who sought drug treatment in 2022. And in 2021, fewer than two dozen opioid-related deaths were officially logged. Compare that to the U.S., where potent synthetic opioids like fentanyl cause tens of thousands of deadly overdoses per year. But Reuters has found that more than a third of Mexico's 32 states lack equipment to detect whether the drug is present in corpses. Mexican health officials have publicly acknowledged gaps in the data. The nation's Addiction Commission director, Evelinda Baron, who also oversees mental health, says it comes down to a matter of resource priority. She admits fentanyl is a concern, but insists Mexico is less predisposed to an epidemic because it does not have the same history as the U.S. of prescription pain medication abuse and heroin consumption. The use of fentanyl is not a public health problem now. We hope it won't be. We must bear in mind the opioid crisis started in other countries and that it had to do with the use of drugs for pain. In Mexico, fentanyl consumption takes place at border zones because of that phenomenon. However, some researchers argue that what data they can collect point to a possible growing epidemic. Fentanyl showed up in nearly a quarter of corpses tested since June 2022 in the border town of Mexicali, according to state data. There are concerns of people consuming it unintentionally, with studies finding fentanyl cut into heroin as well as party drugs like cocaine and MDMA. And as analysts say criminal groups are diversifying their routes, studies show the opioid emerging further away from border areas all the way in central regions like Mexico City. Julian Rojas, who works with Compañeros, says the authorities' dismissive attitude is a problem, especially since it means people don't have access to life-saving drugs in cases of overdoses. Talk that in Mexico there isn't fentanyl consumption, or there's minimum level consumption. This puts the user at a greater risk as it continues to make them invisible. The government doesn't recognize the use of Maxalone as a drug to revert opioid overdoses. This puts the users of drugs that circulate on our country's streets in a more vulnerable condition. Still, officials are sounding the alarm including through a public information campaign warning of the powerful drugs' risks. Mexico's president said in January that while fentanyl consumption was low, the country, quote, has to be careful of it, adding that he was seeking more information about its use in different states. Police in Panama have just seized the largest amount of drugs ever found in a single container. More than five tons of legal drugs were captured in the bust. The parcels were found in a port at the Caribbean port of Cologne inside a shipment of bananas. The boat departed from Ecuador and was heading to Spain. Panama is cracking down on drug trafficking with some 20 tons of drugs seized this year. 
Last year, the country seized 120 tons of drugs, mostly cocaine. And a major fentanyl bust in California, an American citizen was arrested for smuggling $130,000 worth of the deadly pills through an immigration checkpoint. Border Patrol agents sent a rideshare taxi driver with four passengers to a secondary inspection area on Wednesday evening. A canine alerted officials to the presence of multiple bags in the vehicle's trunk, focusing its attention on a backpack and a speaker. The American passenger claimed ownership of both items and was apprehended and handed over to the Drug Enforcement Administration. A sample was tested from one of the wrapped packages, which confirmed the presence of fentanyl. And more from California. Police arrested three people for selling illegal drugs to minors. It happened in Redding. After-school resource officers noticed smoke shops were selling vapes and marijuana to underage customers. An undercover operation found they were also selling chocolate bars made with psilocybin. That's the hallucinogenic compound found in what are commonly called magic mushrooms. Psilocybin is currently only legal in Oregon and Colorado. And more than 40% of Americans know someone who's died of a drug overdose. According to a new study by RAND, about a third of those individuals say the deaths disrupted their lives. As the drug crisis rages on, we wanted to hear direct from people about their experiences. Do you know anyone who's been affected by the drug crisis? Absolutely, yes, I do. Um, someone pretty close to me, actually. Dealing with somebody who has this kind of thing going on, it, it just impacts everybody around them in so many ways. And it's like they have to come out of it themselves. And it's really ultimately what it comes down to. So, and it just, it makes me think about how they got to this point in the first place. What brought them to that? And I think it has something to do with getting used to relying on these, on these prescription meds, right? That maybe it's something that they could have fixed themselves, but they did it at such a young age and they became so reliant on it. And their brain almost gets shaped to depend and rely on these, on these drugs. And it's like, there's, it's really difficult to go back once you've been pushing this, like, persistent um, way of coping for, for many, many years. Um, he was constantly buying pills, um, Percocets, Percodans, whatever he can get off of neighbors who had legitimate medical problems and were being prescribed opioids. But he just enjoyed them so much. And I go, Mark, you know you're an addict to this. And he go, no, I'm not. I could stop any time. But meanwhile, he was constantly buying them from people and popping them like candy all throughout the day. Until the day he died, he was constantly addicted to these pills. So it, and he was an elderly person already. So it does affect all ages, all economic classes. All right, he was not like from a poor neighborhood, but he did suffer from an opioid addiction. How did that affect you? Uh, other than constantly telling him, please stop doing it, um, I mean, he seemed to control it the best he could. I mean, I did get him to stop doing cocaine. He was also into that, and I just went to his apartment one day and said, listen, we're going through your closet, get all your cocaine crap out, and we box it up and threw it in a dumpster. And I said, there, now you can't play with it anymore. And he, he, he told me, he says, well, it's a good thing you did that because I probably would have gone back to it again. All right, sometimes you just got to, you know, kick their butt a little bit and hope they listen. 
Tough love, right? Yeah, tough love. Sometimes it works. To uh, what you can do after you have somebody uh, around us who doesn't have the background. As a society, we can be strong to find any kind of way to be together, to hold our hands, to improve the happiness around the world. We Addiction can happen to anyone. Remember to watch out for your friends, family, and neighbors, and for yourself. And if you know someone who's addicted to drugs, it can be helpful to have naloxone at hand. That could spell the difference at a moment's notice between life and loss. Coming up, Elon Musk sues ChatGPT maker OpenAI and its chief executive, Sam Altman. He says the company has abandoned its original mission to develop artificial intelligence for the benefit of humanity. And the New Zealand court orders $6 million in compensation for survivors of a volcanic eruption. The 2019 disaster resulted in the death of 22 people. Victims say tour operators didn't warn them of the risks. We'll have the details soon when we return. European consumer rights groups are accusing Meta of conducting a large-scale and unlawful data collection operation. The groups say the operation involves hundreds of millions of users in Europe. NTD's Don Ma has more. A European consumer rights group alleges Meta, the owner of Facebook and Instagram, is carrying out a massive and illegal operation of collecting data from hundreds of millions of users. Eight groups from the European consumer organization accused the social media company of collecting an unnecessary amount of information on its users, such as data used to infer their sexual orientation, emotional state, or even their susceptibility to addiction. In a statement, the group said that with its illegal practices, Meta fuels the surveillance-based ads system, which tracks consumers online and gathers vast amounts of personal data for the purpose of showing them adverts. The groups argue that the company's practices breach parts of the European Union's data privacy law. Meta disputes the allegations. A company spokesperson said in a statement that, quote, we take our regulatory obligations extremely seriously, adding that it is confident that the company complies with the general data protection regulation. For years, Meta has been the subject of intense regulatory scrutiny in Europe. The new complaints will potentially expose the company to yet more legal action. Last May, EU regulators fined the tech giant a record-breaking $1.3 billion for violating the general data protection regulation by transferring the personal data of Facebook users to servers in the United States. Don Ma, NTD News. Now over to Australia, where Meta said it will stop paying news outlets for content that appears on Facebook. The decision pits it against the Australian government in a 2021 law that forced internet giants to strike licensing deals. The announcement angered Canberra, with Australia's communication minister slamming the move today. The announcement by Meta today is an abrogation of responsibility to Australia's news media sector. Australian journalists provide one of the most important public goods in our democracy. And Australian news media publishers deserve to be fairly compensated for the investments that they make in that. News publishers and governments such as Australia maintain that Facebook unfairly benefits in terms of advertising revenue when links to news articles appear on its platform. Meta will now discontinue a tab on Facebook that promotes news in Australia and the US. It said in a statement, 
adding that it cancelled the news tab last year in the UK, France and Germany. The statement added, we will not enter into new commercial deals for traditional news content in these countries and will not offer new Facebook products specifically for news publishers. Facebook's decision takes the debate between the government and major social media corporations back to square one. They never conceded the value of the news, but they set up Facebook news almost as a fig leaf to say, we don't accept that there's an inherently more valuable um, quality of information and news content, but we'll give you money anyway because we're setting up this thing called Facebook news. Now they've taken down Facebook news and now they're going to say, I told you no one uses it. No one ever thought it would be. While no deal values have been revealed, Australian news outlets say the annual value to the sector of Facebook's deals is 70 million Australian dollars or about 45 million US dollars. And Elon Musk is suing ChatGPT maker OpenAI and its chief executive, Sam Altman. Musk says the company has abandoned its original mission to develop artificial intelligence for the benefit of humanity. The lawsuit filed late Thursday alleges Altman and co-founder Greg Brockman initially approached Musk to make an open-source nonprofit company. Lawyers for Musk argue the Microsoft-backed company focuses on making money breached that contract. They added the company kept secret the design of GPT-4, its most advanced AI model. Musk co-founded OpenAI in 2015, but stepped down from its board in 2018. Last year, OpenAI's former board fired Altman. A few days later, Altman returned to the company with a new board. And turning now to Europe, we have some short headlines from Germany, Finland, and other countries. In Russia, the late opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been laid to rest at a cemetery. Hundreds of mourners gathered for his funeral in Moscow earlier today. Navalny supporters said several churches in Moscow refused to hold the service. His team eventually got permission from one, and the funeral was carried out under the watch of police. Crowd control barriers surrounded the church. Those who attended the funeral included Navalny's mother and several foreign diplomats, among them the U.S. ambassador to Russia. Thousands lined the streets where the funeral procession took place. Police were also present at the burial. Polish farmers protested on the border with Lithuania today against what they say are Ukrainian grain imports through the Baltic country. The EU waived quotas and duties on imports from Ukraine after Russia's invasion in 2022. Ukraine's neighbors Poland, Hungary and Slovakia introduced national bans on imports of some Ukrainian food products. The policies do allow imports to travel through other countries. Polish farmers argue that some Ukrainian grain brought to Lithuania is later re-exported to other countries as U European grain. Protest organizers say that's despite not meeting health and safety standards. Lithuania denies the allegations. Alexander Stubb took office as Finland's president today. He'll oversee a new era for the country, which joined the North Atlantic Treaty Organization last year in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. During his campaign, Stubb said he saw no limits for Finland's participation in NATO. He said he would allow nuclear weapons to be transported through, but not stored in the country. Stubb said democracy, rule of law and human rights would be the core values of Finland's foreign policy under his leadership. He's replacing outgoing President Sauli Ninis, who served two six-year terms. A day before Stubbs' inauguration, Russian President Vladimir Putin said Russia must boost troop deployments along its western border with the European Union. Four people were killed in shootings in northern Germany. The suspect is a soldier and has turned himself in. 
Authorities say the four victims were shot overnight in rural areas near the cities of Hanover and Bremen. A child is among the victims. Authorities said that a motive and the family environment cannot be ruled out. A New Zealand court on Friday ordered $6 million in compensation for survivors of a volcanic eruption that killed 22 people. The court also issued fines of around $1.5 million. There were 47 people on White Island when the volcano erupted in December 2019. Many of the survivors were badly burned by searing gat, gas and ash. The District Court of Auckland ruled that several tour operators and the island's corporate owner didn't sufficiently ensure the safety of visitors to the island. Wakikari management and White Island tours must pay $3 million each in compensation. The court ordered Volcanic Air Safaris to pay $200,000. Coming up, South Korean women in their 80s break into their rap game. The group is making a name for themselves in their hometown and beyond. And babies born this coming Saturday can get a free copy of The Cat in the Hat. That's in honor of Dr. Seuss's 120th birthday. More shortly here on NTD News Today. This could very well be the last image Odysseus ever sends. Last week, a lunar lander nicknamed Odie became the first U.S. spacecraft to land on the moon in over 50 years. But now it's run out of power. This picture was taken the day it landed, last Thursday. And yes, that bright spot in the center is us. A shot of Earth as seen from our only natural satellite. Sending back photos was only one function of the lander. It also assessed the environment of the moon's south pole to help prepare a man manned mission in 2026. Now, Oda uses solar power, so there's a chance when the lunar night ends in a couple of weeks, it may power back on. That will only be if its equipment survives the deep cold there. And in some even lighter news, a group of uh, South Korean rappers have hit it big in their hometown and beyond. What makes them unique? All the members are in their 80s. Their lyrics center around farm life, bringing energy to a quiet rural area threatened by, pop by a population slump. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Suni and the Seven Princesses have become local celebrities since their debut in August last year. After initially gaining a modest fan club of 150 people, the group's fame spread beyond their rural community. They've been asked to perform in local towns and appear on TV shows, and their videos have garnered more than 77,000 views on YouTube. To make communication between generations possible by fitting in with young people and understanding how they get excited by rap music. Through this, the younger generation can see grandmothers are now creating such a culture, going beyond just consuming existing culture. Their success comes just as South Korea is expected to become a super-aging society as early as next year. About a fifth of its population will be over the age of 65, but rap music keeps these seniors vivacious. I like wearing this outfit. It feels like I'm getting younger, right? Even if I'm old, I'm excited. I like it. Park said she and the other group members feel like they're reliving their youth. They perform in bucket hats, wearing bling and baggy pants. Their lyrics are often about rural life. I'm having fun learning to rap these days. We gathered at the community center and practiced rapping, and we got rid of dementia and became healthy. We have been invited to perform at many places. 
so we're very busy and doing very well. Park's 27-year-old granddaughter is proud and believes her grandmother is the most famous resident in their town. I thought only celebrities became popular on social media, but my grandmother is there now. My friends sent me messages about her and said, isn't that your grandmother? It was a new feeling and I think she's the most famous person in Chilgok now. Inspired by the success of SUNY and the Seven Princesses, four other groups of South Korean seniors have entered the rap game. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Jumping rope is often unfairly stereotyped as an activity for kids, but adults, there are benefits for your health too. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. plan on dusting off that old jump rope stored in your basement, you might be pleasantly surprised. There are many health rewards according to a new study published in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine. Aside from boosting coordination, jumping rope also gets the blood moving which improves your heart health. Not only that, but it can also burn calories at the same time. You'll want to jump while swinging the rope with rhythm and you'll find this cardiovascular exercise elevates your heart rate. It promotes blood flow and complements your current strength training routine. Exercises that increase your heart rate simultaneously reduce the risk of heart disease. This type of cardiovascular exercise is perfect for those depressing winter days when suffering cabin fever. It can also be done in a basement or living room outside of a traditional gym setting. Jump rope for 10 minutes and you'll likely burn 100 calories. This will ultimately help you to lose weight while improving balance and coordination. Jumping rope even has the potential to enhance bone density. Bone density diminishes throughout the aging process. This creates the potential for a bone break resulting from a fall. If you jump rope in your adult years, you'll fortify your increasingly brittle bones as this activity is load-bearing. The minor but meaningful impact that occurs when landing after jumping over a rope strengthens the bones. Jumping rope may feel like a bit of a challenge at the beginning, but you'll improve quickly with little effort. Put on some up-tempo music, clear out your surroundings for ample space and start jumping rope just like you did as a kid. For variety, reverse the motion by transitioning from forward jumping to backward jumping. The bottom line is enjoy trying something new and the health rewards that come with it. Dr. Seuss Enterprises is celebrating its 120th anniversary by gifting a free book to every baby born on March 2nd in the U.S. Families can register on SeussPledge.com to receive a personalized copy of The Cat in the Hat. With the Read Today for Their Tomorrow Pledge, the company is encouraging children to read by honoring American author Theodore Geisel. Geisel wrote roughly 60 classic books under the pen name Dr. Seuss, including Green Eggs and Ham and Oh, the Places You'll Go. The company's CEO says their mission was to promote children's access to literacy programs. And in Georgia, the hearing to disqualify the Fulton County District Attorney resumes today. Attorneys for both sides will make closing arguments before the judge decides whether Fannie Willis and her staff should be removed from the election case against former President Trump. Be sure to tune in to our special coverage starting this afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And of course, be sure to stick around for NTD Newsroom at 2 p.m. Eastern. We'll cover more stories from the U.S. and around the world. 
welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. The Fannie Willis disqualification hearing will be wrapping up this afternoon. Find out more about a witness offering to testify. Former President Trump in court for his classified documents case in Florida. Find out more about the contention over the trial date. Eagle Pass Texas residents are weighing in after former President Trump and President Biden visited the southern border. NTD's Arian Pazdar brings their messages. Hunter Biden testifies he was under the influence when he name-dropped his father, demanding payment from a Chinese business partner on WhatsApp. Takeaways from the first son's closed-door deposition after the transcript release. Thousands of people turn out for Alexei Navalny's funeral in Moscow today after the Russian opposition figure's death two weeks ago. Family members and supporters pay tribute at the graveside ceremony. And in college basketball news, All-American guard Caitlin Clark made a much-anticipated decision regarding her pro future last night. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. Former President Trump is at a federal courthouse in Florida today for a hearing related to his classified documents case. The hearing is to decide on a trial schedule. In a motion filed last night, Special Counsel Jack Smith asked for a trial date of July 8th. It was initially set for May 20th. Attorneys for Trump and a co-defendant proposed August 12th. Trump's attorneys maintain the former president can't receive a fair trial before the November elections because of his campaign obligations. They argued that a trial date closer to the November election would be more harmful. The lawyers also said that it's unfair to prepare for this trial while Trump's hush money trial in New York is also underway. And U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon is addressing the matter in today's court hearing. She'll decide on the final timeline. And reactions are coming in after former President Trump and President Biden visited the southern border yesterday, separately, of course. Entity's Arian Pazdar joins us now from Eagle Pass. Arian, what are people saying down there? Yeah, guys, so I think the main thing, the biggest thing people are talking about today is the number of illegal border crossings here in Eagle Pass, where Trump was, and then down in Brownsville, which Biden visited. So here in Eagle Pass, the numbers are going down, but we do still see over a thousand illegal border crossings every day. Meanwhile, down in Brownsville, that's around 20. So that's one of the reasons why some people say that Biden's visit to Brownsville was just a publicity stunt. And Trump took these accusations a step further, saying that Biden caused the immigration crisis. Let's now take a look at what Trump said exactly as he was here in Shelby Park yesterday in Eagle Pass. But this is a Joe Biden invasion. This is a Biden invasion over the past three years. If you look at uh, Arizona, they haven't done anything there. Governor hasn't done a thing, and the governor in California hasn't done a thing. People are flowing through there like nothing, but Texas is very secure and it's going to be even more secure by the time you finish, which will be soon. And Arian, how did the locals in Eagle Pass react to Trump's visit? Do they support him? And what are they saying about the ongoing crisis in their backyard? Right, guys. So just like in most places, people here, I would say, are divided on Trump, right? Some people love him, some people hate him. But in terms of the immigration crisis itself, so you might be surprised because this is Eagle Pass, right? The immigration hotspot, the center of the immigration crisis, if you will. You might think that this is people's number one issue. But 
we spoke to the residents here and some say it is a big issue, but not all of them. I want to show you what they told me, what they think the biggest issue is affecting them the most. Economy, the economy sucks right now. Excuse my language. It's hard. Prices keep going up, but our income, our raise, it stays the same. Well, when Trump was in office, the economy was a lot of more, more better and, you know, the inflation was non-existent. Shut down the borders and start drilling and that's what we need. And the drilling, would that be good for the economy, you think? Yeah, because yeah, we got Carrizo here that we used to have a bunch of uh, drilling going on since, that, since uh, Biden, everything started going slow. So you see, guys, even down here in Eagle Pass, the immigration hotspot, what people care about the most is how much money they have at the end of the month. Back to you guys. Arian Pazdar, thank you. And joining us live to discuss the border is Andrew Arthur, fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies and a former immigration judge. Andrew, welcome. Now, both at the border yesterday, Biden and Trump, but with vastly different messages. Biden imploring Congress to help him pull resources. Trump saying it's an invasion created by Biden. What do you think these simultaneous visits have achieved politically? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, if you took a look at the two, you know, views that you saw, President Trump was actually on the ground in Shelby Park, right up against the Rio Grande. President Biden spoke from a Border Patrol station, a pretty sanitized area. And as uh, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas said in his remarks after President Trump spoke, uh, Texas has wired Brownsville down, which is why we saw about 20 people come in. President Trump hit hard during his remarks on crime. Uh, individuals who enter the United States illegally are not necessarily more or less likely to commit crimes. But unlike uh, legal immigrants, they're not screened for criminality before they come in. They don't have to show that they have clean uh, criminal records. And I think that's a key point that's been missed in this debate. With respect to President Biden, he hit hard on Congress's failure to pass the comprehensive bill he had set up to the Hill on his first day in office, which is really just a major amnesty. And also, he chided uh, congressional Republicans for not moving on the Senate border bill, which itself really actually would have made the situation at the border a whole lot worse. So, yeah, it was an interesting contrast between the two of them. Right. Now, Trump spoke about the border, as we mentioned. He said, saying it looked like a military invasion. Texas is arguing the same in a federal lawsuit, saying that it has the constitutional right to defend itself from invasion. Uh, but the judge in this case yesterday uh, has blocked Texas's law that allows state uh, federal state police to arrest people who are suspected of illegally crossing the border. He said it would essentially allow uh, allow states to defy all federal laws. What's your legal analysis of that? Yeah, I don't think that it would, uh, you know, allow them to violate federal laws. But this is uh, an area that the Supreme Court considered about 12 years ago in a case called Arizona versus United States that involved internal immigration enforcement by the state of Arizona. And the Supreme Court said uh, that the states didn't have the ability to do that. This is a slightly different case because what Texas, what the Texas law would do is it would make it a state crime for individuals to cross an international uh, boundary into Texas. That's a question that's never been resolved. Uh, Judge Ezra, you know, plainly took his lead from the Supreme Court, but I think that this is gonna be something that the, the Fifth Circuit 
and the Supreme Court may view it a little bit differently uh, in this case. Now, just looking broadly again at the whole nation, 78% of Americans see the border situation as a crisis or a major problem. 80% of people don't think the government is doing well at containing this problem. And uh, there's a substantial amount of Democrats who are concerned about the border as well, as we've seen in many recent polls. Do you think that Democrats' actions recently that seem to be mo more overtly addressing the situation at the border could turn this around for Democrats who are concerned? Yeah, unfortunately, I think for congressional Democrats and for the president, it's pretty much baked in. A recent Gallup poll that was released on February the 27th identified immigration, illegal immigration, as the biggest issue facing the United States today, not inflation, not health care, not anything else. So, yeah, it's going to be very difficult for President Biden to change the narrative at this juncture. That was why he went to Brownsville. I mean, he attempted to force this entire problem off on congressional Republicans. But their answer is, you've been in control for three years. You're the one that created this crisis. We'll see which one the voters listen to. And we did have many Republicans, including Senator J.D. Vance, saying that the border security deal actually, in his words, screwed the American people. And as you mentioned earlier, it, it didn't properly address uh, the issue at its core. That was uh, one of the messages spoken about this and one of the concerns. Um, but there are arguments on both sides. We'll have to dig into this deeper later on. Thank you so much, Andrew Arthur, fellow in law and policy at the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you, Stephanie. The Georgia House passed a bill yesterday that would require the state's police and sheriff's department to help identify, arrest, and detain illegal immigrants for deportation. That's after the murder of a nursing student sparked national outrage and calls for stricter immigration laws. Police have accused a Venezuelan man of killing Lakin Riley on the University of Georgia campus. Authorities say Jose Ibarra illegally entered the U.S. in 2022. The Georgia bill would require local law enforcement agencies to work with U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The measure now moves to state Senate for more debate. And a federal judge says parts of Arizona's new voting laws are not discriminatory. The laws require counties to verify voters' citizenship status and apply only to registered voters who haven't provided proof of U.S. citizenship. In a ruling yesterday, District Judge Susan Bolton concluded Arizona legislators did not discriminate when they adopted the laws. Bolton ruled that the state has an interest in preventing voter fraud and limiting voting to eligible individuals. However, Bolton ruled against the requirement for individuals using a state registration form to include their state or country of birth. The judge says it violates a provision of the Civil Rights Act and a section of the National Voter Registration Act. And after some pressure from former President Trump, Congresswoman Mark Green of Tennessee announced he'll run for re-election in November, this despite his earlier plans to retire. The decision comes after Trump urged Green to reconsider his retirement through a message posted on Truth Social. Trump praising Green's political talents expressed his hope for Green's re-election bid on the social media platform. Green, who chairs the House Homeland Security Committee, represents a GOP-friendly district in central Tennessee. The district is expected to remain in Republican hands, regardless of Green's final choice. The cybercriminal gang that launched an attack on Fulton County, Georgia, has not profited from their alleged scheme. The county's Board of Commission chairman says no ransom was handed over. 
Lockbit is the group that claimed responsibility for the hack. It gave the local government a deadline of Thursday. It's been trying to extort Fulton County for the past few weeks, threatening to release data the group says it took from the county. The hack has hindered county computers, disrupting the processing of water bills and property tax payments. However, county officials say they're making progress with the recovery of information. The FBI and other law enforcement partners worldwide recently announced a full-scale crackdown on Lockbit. In Georgia, the hearing over whether to disqualify Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis will resume later this afternoon. The hearing will begin at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Both sides will present their closing arguments. The hearing centers around when Willis began her relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. Attorneys for Trump and his allies are expected to argue that Willis lied in court about the timeline. The attorneys are expected to highlight Wade's cell phone data. And on the other side, prosecutors seek to have another witness testify. Stan Brody is a winery worker in Napa Valley, California. He told CNN that he witnessed Willis pay in cash when she and Wade visited in 2023. Prosecutors are trying to admit Brody's affidavit into evidence. Be sure to tune in to our special coverage of that hearing starting this afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on NDD News. And coming up, 40% of Americans know someone who's died of a drug overdose. We hear personal stories from everyday Americans about how the drug crisis is affecting their lives. And a new bill in Illinois is sparking outrage. Parents could be reported for child abuse for not letting their kids get an abortion or cross-sex operation. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. of Hunter Biden's closed-door deposition was released last night. The first son repeatedly denied under oath that his father ever financially benefited or participated in any of his business ventures. Republicans dug in on his work for foreign clients in countries like China and Ukraine. The House panel investigating President Biden and his family is searching for any evidence of corruption or influence peddling during Biden's time as VP. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has takeaways from Hunter Biden's deposition. Morning. GOP investigators in a close to seven-hour-long private interview with Hunter Biden Wednesday asked about dinners and meetings with business partners where he put his father on speakerphone. The younger Biden said it was nothing nefarious, stating after the death of his mother and two siblings, calls in his family are always answered no matter what. Hunter Biden acknowledged his past drug addiction under questioning from Congressman Matt Gates. He told the panel he's been in recovery for over four years and pushed back, asking what it had to do with impeachment. The first son testified he was out of his mind, drunk, and probably high when he name-dropped his father in a 2017 WhatsApp message demanding payment from a Chinese business associate. He told lawmakers his father was not actually sitting next to him as he said in the text, and insisted he didn't recall sending it in the first place. Republicans drilled down on what they describe as selling the Biden brand to clients overseas. Hunter Biden's former business associate Devin Archer testified last year the president's family sold the illusion of access to power in Washington. The panel asked Hunter Biden what value he brought to Ukrainian energy firm Burisma in 2014 and if the company wanted him on its board because his father was VP. He said he didn't think that would be a fair assessment, then talked about the scope of his resume. He also challenged Republicans to prove that he sent money to his father other than a car loan repayment. When asked about a 2017 email proposing a $10 million stake in a firm be held for the big guy, Hunter Biden said it was a pie in the sky and testified he does not remember fully reading or responding to the email. 
He says he only knows what was executed in the agreement, and stated it didn't involve his father. Hunter Biden also testified he does not remember bringing a laptop into a Delaware repair shop, stating if he needed repairs, he would have gone to the Apple store. House Oversight Chair James Comer says the next step in the GOP impeachment inquiry will be a public hearing with Hunter Biden. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. A judge has held former Fox and CBS correspondent Catherine Herridge in contempt of court after she refused to divulge her sources. First Amendment advocates say this could have a chilling effect on journalism. E.C. Judge Christopher Cooper ordered the veteran journalist to pay $800 a day for refusing to reveal her sources for a series of stories from 2017 when she worked for Fox News. Herridge's lawyers said they intend to appeal the decision. Herridge in 2017 reported Chinese-American scientist Yanping Chen was under investigation by the FBI. The report examined Chen's ties to the Chinese military and raised questions about if the scientist was helping the Chinese regime get information on American service members. Chen, who was never charged, accused federal authorities of violating the Privacy Act by improperly leaking information about her. She subsequently filed a lawsuit against the Bureau, citing documents reviewed by Fox News. Chen then subpoenaed Herridge and Fox, hoping to unmask the sources for the stories. Herridge and Fox News appealed to Judge Cooper to have the subpoena quashed. Cooper refused. The judge wrote in Thursday's order, Chen's needs for the requested evidence overcomes Herridge's qualified First Amendment privilege in this case. A spokesperson for Fox News said in a statement, holding a journalist in contempt for protecting a confidential source has a deeply chilling effect on journalism. The case has prompted members of Congress to demand greater protections for journalists. A major fentanyl bust in California. An American citizen was arrested for smuggling $130,000 worth of the deadly pills through an immigration checkpoint. Border Patrol agents sent a rideshare taxi driver with four passengers to a secondary inspection area on Wednesday evening. A canine alerted officials to the presence of multiple bags in the vehicle's trunk, focusing its attention on a backpack and a speaker. The American passenger claimed ownership of both items and was apprehended and handed over to the Drug Enforcement Administration. A sample was tested from one of the wrapped packages which confirmed the presence of fentanyl. And more from California. Police arrested three people for selling illegal drugs to minors. It happened in Redding. After school, resource officers noticed smoke shops were selling vapes and marijuana to underage customers. An undercover operation found they were also selling chocolate bars made with psilocybin. That's the hallucinogenic compound found in what are commonly called magic mushrooms. Psilocybin is currently only legal in Oregon and Colorado. And police in Panama have just seized the largest amount of drugs ever found in a single container. More than five tons of illegal drugs were captured in the bust. The parcels were found in a port at the Caribbean port of Cologne inside a shipment of bananas. The boat departed from Ecuador and was headed to Spain. Panama is cracking down on drug trafficking with some 20 tons of drugs seized this year. Last year, the country seized 120 tons of drugs, mostly cocaine. More than 40% of Americans know someone who's died of a drug overdose. According to a new study by RAND, about a third of those individuals say the deaths disrupted their lives. As the drug crisis rages on, we wanted to hear direct from people about their experiences. Do you know anyone who's been affected by the drug crisis? Absolutely, yes, I do. Um, someone pretty close to me, actually. Dealing with somebody who has this kind of thing going on, it, it just impacts everybody around them in so many ways. And it's like they have to come out of it themselves. And it's really ultimately what it comes down to. So, and it just, it makes me think about how they got to this point in the first place. What brought them to that? And I think it has something to do with 
getting used to relying on these on these prescription meds, right? That maybe it's something that they could have fixed themselves, but they did it at such a young age and they became so reliant on it and their brain almost gets shaped to depend and rely on these on these drugs. And it's like there's it's really difficult to go back once you've been pushing this like pers persistent um, way of coping for, for many, many years. Um, he was constantly buying pills, um, Percocets, Percodans, whatever he can get off of neighbors who had legitimate medical problems and were being prescribed opioids. But he just enjoyed them so much. And I go, Mark, you know you're an addict to this. And he go, no, I'm not. I could stop any time. But meanwhile, he was constantly buying them from people and popping them like candy all throughout the day. Until the day he died, he was constantly addicted to these pills. So it, and he was an elderly person already. So it does affect all ages, all economic classes. All right, he was not like from a poor neighborhood, but he did suffer from an opioid addiction. How did that affect you? Uh, other than constantly telling him, please stop doing it, um, I mean, he seemed to control it the best he could. I mean, I did get him to stop doing cocaine. He was also into that, and I just went to his apartment one day and said, listen, we're going through your closet, get all your cocaine crap out, and we box it up and threw it in a dumpster. Mm -hmm. And I said, there, now you can't play with it anymore. And he, he, he told me, he says, well, it's a good thing you did that because I probably would have gone back to it again. All right, sometimes you just got to, you know, kick their butt a little bit and hope they listen. Tough love, right? Yeah, tough love. Sometimes it works. To uh, what you can do after you have somebody uh, around us who doesn't have the background. As a society, we can be strong to find any kind of way to be together, to hold our hands, to improve the happiness around the world. And remember, addiction can happen to anyone. Remember to watch out for your friends, family, and neighbors, and for yourself. And if you know someone who's addicted to drugs, it can be helpful to have naloxone at hand. That could spell the difference at a moment's notice between life and loss. A contentious new bill in Illinois is sparking outrage. It would make it child abuse if parents don't allow their kids to get abortions or cross-sex procedures. NTD's Daniel Monahan delves into the controversy, speaking with Awake Illinois founder Shannon Adcock, who warns of the dangers of the bill presents. House Bill 4876 is sponsored by Illinois Representative Ann Stava-Murray. It amends the Abused and Neglected Child Reporting Act. It defines abused child as a child whose parent denies the child access to abortion services and cross-sex procedures, among other medical services. Under HB 4876, parental consent for puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and surgeries would not be needed. Awake Illinois is an organization whose website says it aims to protect children from gender ideology. Founder Shannon Adcock says HB 4876 would drive a wedge between parents and their children and force parents to go against their convictions or else. A parent who is looking to direct their children's medical needs could be considered a criminal if they do not participate in gender-affirming medicine, which, by the way, is not medicine at all. According to Adcock, the bill is criminalizing ethics and punishing parents who are acting responsibly, who are being careful with their children's medical care, 
psychiatric care and education. Uh, why would we ever say it's cr it's criminal for a parent to stand in the gap between their child and any attempt to mutilate or sterilize them? Why would we try and normalize that and, and call a parent a criminal for standing in the gap of that? And so this is really a good opportunity for people to be aware of the harms of this gender ideology uh, in medicine. The bill would also allow minors to get abortions without parental consent and remove any criminal liability from healthcare professionals who perform abortions or cross-sex surgeries on minors without such consent. If the bill passes, parents could face over a decade in prison for preventing their kids from getting cross-sex procedures or abortions. Child abuse charges in the state can carry a penalty of up to 15 years in prison and penalties of up to $25,000. Adcock says bills like HB 4876 are part of a global agenda. The mom of three says people should be getting every politician on record about whether they are supportive of gender ideology and medicine in schools. Um, and we have to do everything we can locally at a state level and federally to speak truth and to preserve the greatest principles of our country. And quite frankly, the foundation of America is the family. So our organization's really focused on empowering parents uh, as the primary caretakers to put the armor over their children. And NTD reached out to the bill's founder, Illinois Representative Ann Stava Murray, for comment. We are still waiting to hear back from her. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And coming up, Elon Musk sues ChatGPT maker OpenAI and its chief executive, Sam Altman, over breach of contract. He says the company has abandoned its original mission to develop artificial intelligence for the benefit of humanity. And in college basketball news, All-American guard Caitlin Clark made a decision regarding her pro future last night. We'll have that and more after the break. Elon Musk is suing ChatGPT maker OpenAI and its chief executive, Sam Altman. Musk says the company has abandoned its original mission to develop artificial intelligence for the benefit of humanity. The lawsuit filed late Thursday alleges Altman and co-founder Greg Brockman initially approached Musk to make an OpenAI open-source nonprofit company. Lawyers for Musk argue the Microsoft-backed company's focus on making money breached that contract. They added the company kept secret the design of ChatGPT4, its most advanced AI model. Musk co-founded OpenAI in 2015, but stepped down from its board in 2018. Last year, OpenAI's former board fired Altman. A few days later, Altman returned to the company with a new board. Thousands of Russians chanted Alexei Navalny's name today as his family attended a small funeral in a Moscow church surrounded by police. Take a look. Russian opposition politician Alexei Navalny's funeral took place at a Moscow church on Friday as thousands of Russians chanted his name outside. Some shouted, Russia will be free, no to war, Russia without Putin, we won't forgive, and Putin is a murderer. Inside the Borisovskoye Cemetery, the Kremlin critic's body was presented in a flower-laden open casket during funeral proceedings. Navalny's mother, Ludmila, and father, Anatoly, sat by their son's coffin as musicians played. His wife, Yulia, and two children, who were living outside Russia, did not attend. It was a small ceremony, but one flanked by a heavy police presence. 
Queues of people had been prevented from entering to say goodbye. They surrounded the church and clapped during the service. To tell the truth, it is very pleasant for me to be here in the company of like-minded people. Here, I don't know, there are more than 10,000 people and nobody is scared. Everybody knows what they want. Navalny, President Vladimir Putin's fiercest critic inside Russia, died aged 47 in an Arctic penal colony on February 16th. His allies have accused Putin of having him murdered and say the Russian leader could not tolerate the thought of Navalny being freed in a potential prisoner swap. They have not published proof to back up that accusation, but have promised to do so. The Kremlin has denied any state involvement in his death. More than a quarter of a million people watched the events on Navalny's YouTube channel, which is blocked inside Russia. And staying in Europe, we have some short headlines from Germany, Finland and other countries. Polish farmers protested on the border with Lithuania today against what they say are Ukrainian grain imports through the Baltic country. The EU waived quotas and duties on imports from Ukraine after Russia's invasion in 2022. Ukraine's neighbors Poland, Hungary and Slovakia introduced national bans on imports of some Ukrainian food products. The policies do allow imports to travel through other countries. Polish farmers argue that some Ukrainian grain brought to Lithuania is later re-exported to other countries as European grain. Protest organizers say that's despite not meeting health and safety standards. Lithuania denies the allegations. Alexander Stubb took office as Finland's president today. He'll oversee a new era for the country, which joined the North Atlantic Treaty Organization last year in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. During his campaign, Stubb said he saw no limits for Finland's participation in NATO. He said he would allow nuclear weapons be transported through, but not stored in the country. Stubb said democracy, rule of law and human rights would be the core values of Finland's foreign policy under his leadership. He's replacing outgoing President Saul Ninis, who served two six-year terms. A day before Stubbs' inauguration, Russian President Vladimir Putin said Russia must boost troop deployments along its western borders with the European Union. Four people were killed in shootings in northern Germany. The suspect is a soldier and has turned himself in. Authorities say the four victims were shot overnight in rural areas near the cities of Hanover and Bremen. A child is among the victims. Authorities said that a motive in the family environment cannot be ruled out. South Korea's president praising ties with Japan today on a national holiday marking South Korea's uprising against Japanese colonial rule. The two are faced with common challenges, the Chinese Communist Party and North Korea. President Yoon Suk-yeol said Seoul would need international help for any prospect of unification with North Korea. Unification is a challenging task that we cannot accomplish alone. The international community must pull its strength in a responsible manner. Seoul and Tokyo have had some bitter historical disputes, but ties between the two improved under Yoon. That's as nuclear threats from North Korea increased and Beijing has been acting more aggressively. Yoon said he hopes relations with Japan will reach a higher level next year. He added their security cooperation against North Korea's nuclear and missile threats has been strengthened. A small nation in the Pacific holding out under pressure from Beijing. The new prime minister of island nation Tuvalu saying today it would maintain diplomatic ties with Taiwan. But our ties with uh, Taiwan are, are purely based on uh, democratic uh, principles. And they have been uh, very loyal to us. And 
we have likewise uh, been very loyal to them. Of the island nations in the Pacific, Tuvalu is one of three that still recognizes Taipei. Beijing sees Taiwan as part of China's territory, despite never having ruled it. And as the communist regime expands its influence in the region, some small island nations there have switched recognition from Taiwan to Beijing. When Taiwan's president Tsai Ing-wen took office eight years ago, Taiwan had 22 diplomatic allies. Now that number has dropped to 12. The U.S. doesn't have formal ties with Taipei, but is bound by law to sell weapons to the island so it can defend itself. And in more China news, the FBI raided the home of a top aide to New York City Mayor Eric Adams yesterday. What are her China ties? More details coming tonight at 9.30 p.m. Eastern on NTD's China in Focus with Tiffany Meyer. Turning now to sports in college basketball, reigning player of the year Caitlin Clark made an announcement about her future yesterday. The popular woman's star is already the NCAA's career leader in points scored and has become an attraction wherever she plays. NTD's Dave Martin has more. Iowa guard Caitlin Clark has decided to enter the WNBA draft where she will likely be the number one pick. The senior had an option to return to school for one more season because of the extra year of eligibility given to those who played during the COVID pandemic. Already one of the biggest draws in women's basketball history, the impending departure is likely to make tickets for her home finale a hot item. As of Thursday, the cheapest seat listed on TickPick.com was just over $480. Meanwhile, courtside seats were listed as high as $5,500. Last month, Clark became the women's all-time leading scorer. In addition, she should soon pass former men's great Pistol Pete Maravich for the all-time men's or women's record. This year, the 22-year-old Clark leads the NCAA in both points and assists per game, leading the Hawkeyes to a 25-4 record and a number 6 national ranking. And in baseball news, Shohei Otani revealed a few more details about his new bride yesterday just hours after shocking the sports world with his marriage announcement. Otani, who also kept his whirlwind free agency tour under wraps during the offseason, revealed through an interpreter that his wife was a, quote, normal Japanese woman that he had known for several years. Otani, who is one of the biggest celebrities in Japan, signed a record-breaking $700 million contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers this offseason in one of the most highly anticipated free agency tours in league history. The two-time MVP has been an all-star selection as both a hitter and a pitcher each of the last two seasons. This year, though, he will be relegated to hitting duties only as he recovers from off-season arm surgery. This is Dave Martin for NTD News. When we come back, closing arguments begin today in Trump prosecutor Fannie Willis's misconduct hearing. The courtroom drama has captured the attention of Americans across the country. As a judge weighs whether the district attorney should be disqualified, what does the public have to say about her future? We'll have their reactions when we return. In Georgia, the hearing over whether to disqualify Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis resumes later this afternoon. The hearing will begin at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Both sides will present their closing arguments. The hearing centers around when Willis began her relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade. Attorneys for Trump and his allies are expected to argue that Willis lied in court about the timeline. The attorneys are expected to highlight Wade's cell phone data. 
And on the other side, prosecutors seek to have another witness testify. Stan Brody is a winery worker in Napa Valley, California. He told CNN that he witnessed Willis pay in cash when she and Wade visited in 2023. Prosecutors are trying to admit Brody's affidavit into evidence. What do folks on the streets of New York City have to say about Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis's future? I asked them yesterday. From everything you know about Fonnie Willis's relationship with Special Prosecutor Nathan Wade in Trump's Georgia case, mm -hmm. do you think that she should be disqualified from overseeing that case? Um, I mean, if it's a uh... If it's a clear violation of, of you know, what the rules require, um, you know, I don't know if their relationship has any effect on his ability to properly do his job. But, um, you know, if it's, if it's against the rules, then yeah, definitely, yeah. Once all those issues came to light, obviously it's a conflict of interest. She should be dismissed. Cavorting with this guy, the, the two of them met with Biden administration, Biden administration officials prior to all of this. I mean, is the American public that brain dead? It's incredible. Um, no, I know their star witness kind of fell apart on the stand, so it kind of seems a bit trumped up. So, um, you know, I don't really think she should be removed. I think it should be looked into, but in the timeline established, but I know that's what they're having difficulty doing. There's. They can't really figure out to start in 2019, to start in 2022, 2023. So I don't know if she should be removed, but it should be looked into. I made uh, some mistakes, but nothing to jeopardize the case. She was having an affair with a subordinate, you know, and, and uh, if it started before or after, you know, it was, it was inappropriate, but it, it, it doesn't do anything about the facts of the case. I think it definitely should get disqualified because it's just, it's nonsense. You know, I'm originally from Russia. I'm kind of, I got used to this type of stuff already, but when I hear that, you know, in U.S., this is happening in the U.S., that's crazy. So I consider it to be like, you know, corruption, basically. She is having a relationship and is going to impact the case because that's what the um, defense is always going to claim. And she, um, and he supposedly, she paid him back reimburse them for the trip money. Yeah, it doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound good. It, the best thing would be do best thing for her to do. Do you think that Trump's Georgia case should be dismissed? I'm not sure if dismissed. No, I think it should be in somebody else's hands because it has to go forward. If some things were said by Trump and by some people who work for and they need to they need to come out in court to find out exactly what happened, exactly what was said. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, let's let's bring everything to light and uh, and let's see where everything lands. I don't think that Fonnie Willis's actions have anything to do with what he's being accused of. So I, I do think that um, he should face charges if that's necessary. And I think those should be two totally separate uh, cases. No, absolutely not. Now, being a Georgia resident, it should be looked into. Um, you know, my vote, I don't want it to be affected by the political aims of a candidate on either party. So um, absolutely not. It should not be dismissed at this time. Be sure to tune in to our special coverage starting shortly at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on NTD News. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories tomorrow and the hearing in just a few minutes.